0: Welcome to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim. Three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you enjoy today's discussion. Let's dive right in. Hey guys, welcome back to another week, another discussion, another revelation and literal joy in the grace of God. Last week, we started talking about a subject that I guess I'm going to probably have to call this a series now because it looks like we're going to have more than one of them. Um, And that was, well, uh, listeners, let us know which which title you like better because it's one of two things. Either we're talking about things I used to know, which implies that we grew up in the Christian church and learned things one way, but once we found grace, learned a new way. Or debunking Christian myths, which... Even though some people may know about grace, they're still teaching kind of a mixed gospel of the law and grace together. So last week, we coupled a co- we covered a couple of topics. This week, I think we've got a couple more. I think
1: we're going to start with Mark. Why don't you introduce it? Okay, just to bounce off of what you uh, just said, Tim, I don't think Christians have the market cornered on things I used to know because I think the whole world is out there thinking they know what the one true gospel is. And most of them got it wrong. They've got little pieces, something they saw on TV, something they read on a book. Maybe they went to church one Easter when they were little. Just a, just a, a modge podge of things that are not based on pure Scripture and the pure one true gospel. So I actually say we do both. We call it Things I Used to Know, Debunking Christian Myths. It's a little wordy, but it'll look good when we put out our New York Times bestselling book. Okay. <laughs> I like that, man. I like that. Go ahead. And let's lead us forward. Well, we we did three last week, and we're going to try to get three out today. There's no time We can go shorter or longer, so we don't have to get them in. But we're going to start out one that is very famous, and we've all heard it used on TV. It's it's used in different religions, as a matter of fact. Some people would call it karma, but the Bible calls it, we reap what we sow. So it's basically saying, you do something bad, you're going to get something bad happen to you. You do something good, now you're going to get something good coming to you. And some people might say, well, Mark, that is in the Bible, right? And I would say to them, yes, it is. There's a lot of things in the Bible. And there are different covenants in the Bible. There's the Old Covenant. There's the New Covenant. There are many other promises God has made, which is just another word for covenant. That being said, some things we are not responsible for. We are not ceremonial Jews living under the old covenant law in Old Testament times. So everything that's said there, we can learn from, and most of it points to the coming of Christ, but that doesn't mean we are responsible to live by that. So we are called to rightly divide the word of truth. And as one of my old friends used to say, that means that everything we read in the Bible, we filter through the perfect and finished work of Christ on the cross. And rightly dividing, the word of truth means dividing between what was old covenant law and what is the gospel of grace. You said that
0: our actions don't produce effects in the world. So when we get a guy who jumps up on tv who is maybe a christian leader saying, "Well, that hurricane that hit that city or that town, that was the wrath of god. We we're not under that anymore." And even if even if that whole city was as corrupt as all get out, what happened there was natural effect from the breaking of the perfect world when Eden Uh, when, when they, we, we broke Eden and we were kicked out. Now we live in a world where there are hurricanes and tornadoes and storms and things. Those aren't the wrath of God anymore. Those are natural things. And I have to tell you, I spent a lot of time yelling at my TV during a particular storm going, you're shut up. You're
1: making the rest of us look bad. Yeah. That's somebody who was not rightly dividing the word of truth. He was a very famous Bible commentarian, Matthew Henry. To this day, it's one of the most read Bible commentaries. He said that the old covenant prophet cries out to show people their sin. The new covenant prophet cries out to show people their Savior. So with that guy, whoever that was, yelling that this is the punishment of God for their sin, first of all, He doesn't know that even if it was that, but which we know it's not. But that's not what he's called to do. He's called to tell those hurting people how much God loves them so much that he sent his son for them and wants to make them alive in Christ. So he's off on so many, so many different things. That's another whole podcast, though, Tim. Um, But what I I was doing is I I was just saying what reap, reaping what you sow means i wasn't getting into specifics on that yet so i, I think you took it that i was so, somehow you know
0: but so 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 i'm was, so, i'm sorry for having done that i didn't mean to take us on a bunny trail but no that's okay ajay, it,
1: it led to a good place so.
0: ajay you have a very pensive look on your face what do you have to add to this no 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 i was going to ask mask uh, sorry mark
2: um so mark why is it not true like, if it is written in the Bible, what you sow is what you reap. Why do you say that, you
1: know, it's not true anymore? It's not true because of the cross, okay? We're no longer under a law. You do this, you're going to be blessed. You do this bad thing, you're going to be cursed, okay? We're not under that anymore. A better way of saying it would be that that we reap what Christ sowed on our behalf. That's grace, undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor and love and blessing of God on our lives. Reap what you sow is all about what you do. Now, I want to I differentiate this. This is one of Tim's themes, and I think it's a good one. And that is that there's a difference in some things between our well big thing big difference between our relationship with God on a vertical plane from us up to him and then with each other on a horizontal plane if i go up to ajay and smack him in the face there's a good chance he's going to smack me back yeah and so i will have reaped what i what i what are the past tenses? Wrought what I sown. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I will have reaped what I sowed. But this is not true anymore in our relationship with God. That's with. That's what's wrong with looking at a disaster or something that's bad that someone's going through and saying they're getting punished by God. It's just not true anymore. We don't get what we deserve in our relationship with God because Christ went in and took the bad that we deserved and gave us the good we don't deserve that's the difference between grace and mercy yeah so on a human plane sometimes we do we do reap what we have sown whether it's at work in our marital life or friendships but even that i mean even that many times i feel like god shields us from the full even on a horizontal plane from the full possibility of what could have came from that in a bad way. You understand what I'm saying on that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, you know, Tim, you mentioned the Garden of Eden, and then Mark, you mentioned the cross. You know, I wanted to kind of tie it together and kind of go back all the way to the garden, right? So what happened in the garden is like Adamson, right? And then what Adam sowed, the whole humanity is reaping. So you said, like Mark, you talked about dividing the word of truth and looking everything or filtering everything through the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what happened, right? If you go all the way to the beginning, Adam sinned. And because we were in Adam at that time, we were all the children of Adam. We all actually reaped the what Adam sowed the wages of sin is death. Adam brought that into this world. So we all are reaping what Adam did. And in fact, there's no way out of it, right? You know, the law was given. We all know that the law was given to show that we are sinners. You know, one of the misconceptions is, you know, we think that by keeping the law, you know, somehow we can get out of what Adam did to us, but it's impossible. So I think that's one of the misconceptions that uh, somehow based on our righteousness, based on our works, you know, we can get out of what Adam did, but that's not possible. And then the Lord Jesus came, right? The cross came into the picture. And then Lord Jesus, through the cross and through the shedding of the blood, He redeemed us from what Adam did. And the only way out of what Adam did to us is through the cross. And as we know, like, you know, once we receive the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, right, once we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, we come from death unto life. And then on this side of life, you know, there's no more uh, reaping what we sow. In other words, we sin on the other side of the cross for the believers, right? You know, we will never go back to dying again because once and for all, our Lord Jesus Christ redeemed us from death and the curse, and then he brought us from death unto life. And now we are in the land of life because all our sins are forgiven. Even in this fleshly sin, there is no sowing of death again because now the only thing we have is life, and the only thing we have is grace.
1: I want to read one of Ajay's favorite scriptures. Are you familiar with the book of Romans, Ajay? (laughs) Uh, Romans 5.12 says, speaking right right to what you just said, Ajay. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. Now, jumping on one more verse, it says, But the gift is not like the sin or trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by, the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? What an awesome scripture. The gift, what we have in Christ, is just so far above what the original trespass could do to us in negative things, the good things we have in Christ. Just as Paul put it in 2 Corinthians uh, three, He said, what was glorious has no glory now compared with the surpassing glory. What Christ has done for us is so awesome and gracious and loving that what we reap, is His goodness, all the the blessings He's bought us by His obedience, even obedience to the point of death on a cross on our behalf. Uh, Thinking with that mentality of reaping what you sow makes it all about what you do or don't do instead of about what Christ did for us. And that's the key with the reaping and sowing. And another big misconception that really opened my eyes when I came the knowledge of the truth was, when you're reading the Bible, the complete Old Testament, those people lived under the old covenant law, okay? And some people know that, but what most people don't realize is the new covenant did not start until the cross and the resurrection. So as Christ walked through his life teaching to the crowds at the time, he was a still under the old covenant law. In fact, in fact, Scripture says that he perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirement of the old covenant law on our behalf. Because he mentioned reap what you sow, but while he was walking through his life, he was upholding every part of the law. He said, I'm not even going to let the least little pen stroke of the law pass away. But he fulfilled it, and that's that's the key to know. Because that can, that you know, when you read some of the things Jesus said, he was elevating that law so that people could see there's no way you can keep this correctly. And in not keeping the law, you're going to reap what you sow if you're under the law. Yeah. What do you think about that, Ajay?
2: Yeah, so I just want to clarify one thing, right? So, Mark, like you said, the whole human history is, the dividing line is uh, cross, right? You know, it it is like... We have the cross and before the cross and after the cross, or you can even think of, you know, humanity without Christ and with Christ. You know, just as there is this dividing line of the cross, even in a person's life, there's a dividing life, right? You know, we have these unbelievers and believers in Jesus Christ. I think it's important to differentiate that, right? In our own life, right, you know, at a certain point of time, we come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's when, you know, we become, go from darkness to light, right? You know, we become... Believers from unbelievers you know that's when you know the things change for us. so similarly in the world also, like there are two things happening right there is unbelievers and there are believers. So for unbelievers in the unbelieving world, you know what you sow is what you reap, right? They think you know in the unbelieving world, if you sow and if you do good things, you will get good. and if you do bad things, right you know you will get bad. But the reality is for an unbeliever, no matter what you sow, you will only reap death that's the only consequence because nobody can fulfill the law nobody can do good roman says there's none righteous no not one right so if you divide this up into unbelieving unbelievers and believers for an unbeliever no matter what you sow, you're still reaping death but once somebody comes to faith in lord jesus christ and comes over to the other side and you become a believer and now you have the life of god and now you have the righteousness you are the righteousness of god now, no matter what you sow, you're reaping life. So I wanted to differentiate that, right? You don't just apply this to unbelievers and believers equally. And the dividing line, again, is a cross, right? When you believe in the finished work of Lord Jesus Christ, you go over from death unto life, and you go from being an unbeliever to being a believer. And for the believers, right, you know, this principle is, if you say, right, it's it's never what you sow is what you reap. For unbelievers, no matter what you sow, you're reaping death. And for believers, no matter what you sow, you're reaping life.
1: Oh, That's good. That's good. Amen. Good insight there, Ajay. That, um, that's why it's called the gospel, the good news. That is such good news. You know, we cross from darkness to light. We cross from death to life, which is what you just pointed out there. So reaping what you're sowing is no longer no longer really true for the unbeliever or the believer it's just you're going one is going to end in reaping death and the other in life
0: yep now that's again i'm going to add that spiritually yeah, but in the world mark if i never ever you know if i if i constantly lied to you how long would it be before our relationship was broken it's different with god depends how good you were at it <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah i think that is so true right i think we have to you both already pointed it out i think it's uh, again worth calling it out right so we are talking about our relationship with god yes and our eternal state but between human beings right it's what you sow is always you know kind of what you reap if you are good to your neighbor you know you will get back good but if you're not good to your neighbor right so there is a quite a chance like unless they are very very patient believers <laughs> you might actually get more than what you saw, right? Yep. If you slap him, you might get three back. So, <laughs> so it's uh, important to realize that.
1: One one important thing to add is that coming to Christ, that's not what it leads to. It doesn't lead to me slap, slapping Ajay. It leads to me loving Ajay and wanting his best. That's what comes out of the gospel. And it's important to see just to tell people as you know the critics always say oh when when you're no longer under reap what you sow that's going to lead to you doing whatever you want yeah because hey there's no consequences but that's not what it leads to because when you really contemplate and understand the kind of love that is it changes you and transforms you yeah i wanted to quickly address that you know just to remove that
2: misconception right so They are thinking, under the law, before people are saved, you know, somehow they are reaping good out of their actions, but we just talked about it, right? No matter what they do, they are sowing death. Why would you ever root for that kind of, uh, you know, being under the law, right? So, like uh, Mark, like you always say, right, the only hope of, you know, not sinning is grace. If you are under the law, if you're not born again, you always sow death, uh, so you always reap death. So there's no hope there. So you can fight all day long and uh, you can all, uh, all day long, you know, uh, against grace. But the problem is, apart from grace, you have no hope.
0: I think you said in an earlier podcast, Ajay, you know, our self-righteousness is like dirty rags. And then you went, well, you know, really, if you look at it, our self righteousness is like dirty diapers. <laughs> it's, we don't have it, and we can't have it, and we, you know, so we we must have the righteousness of Christ.
1: Because even when we occasionally do something good of our own volition, how often are our motives pure? You know, some I'm not saying never, but agreed. So what I want that misconception about what comes out of living under the law and what comes out of living under grace is a very serious misunderstanding because the Apostle Paul even said that trying to live by the law, a set of rules, do this, don't do that, your own performance and behavior modification, it says that the law actually arouses sin in us. When you're trying to live by this, oh, limiting... You're in a cage, basically. It's bondage, Paul calls, calls it, that doesn't have a good outcome. But grace, on the other hand, just how the, how the law arouses sin, grace arouses love in us. And so it's funny that that's, they have it, people that are trying to mix the law or completely live by set of rules, once again, works, we'll call it, They've got it 180 degrees backwards. They think trying really hard to to toe the line and to fly right and pull your own bootstraps up is going to lead to a good life. And they're afraid that trusting and relying on the love and grace of God in Christ is going to lead us to go off the deep end and just sin, 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 because it's been paid for. But that's not what that leads to. So 180 degrees out of phase which is really what the law is compared to the gospel. It's the opposite. Amen. I like that. But that
0: kind of leads us to our second topic, which is the verse that everyone likes to quote that actually isn't a Bible verse, and that is God helps those who help themselves. So you're telling me that I can't do anything to make myself better in God's eyes, that I can't do anything to improve myself, but I have to rely totally on God to do all those things. And that's very hard, especially having grown up with God helps those who help themselves. What do you, what do you have to say about that?
2: Yeah, I think it again goes back to uh, the picture I have in my mind is when we go back to salvation, right? Salvation, let's say, you know, there is somebody drowning in a lake or a sea, and you are a great swimmer and you could save him, right? You're standing on the shore and you're saying that, you know, hey, I'm going to save you, but, you know, you need to help yourself a little bit first. You know, learn to swim a little bit and then I'll help you. How does that work? So I think that is how it is, like telling people, you know, God helps
1: those who help themselves. I'll say this. First of all, God helps everybody. Just a blanket statement. Scripture says God sends good things even into evil people's lives, even into people that don't believe he exists. He sends rains on their field to yield a harvest and a crop. God helps everybody, first of all. Bible says that God has grace and love for us before we come to Him. It's because of that grace and love that He sent Christ for us. So God helps everybody first of all, not just those who help themselves. That sounds a lot like the. Uh, I believe these actually are verses: "The rain falls on
0: the just and the unjust."
1: Right. Exactly. Uh, secondly, is that once we come to Christ our sins are removed, Uh, the righteousness of God is imputed to us, and the riches of a glorious inheritance, all the blessings of every promise God ever made in Scripture are now ours. Because his favor rests on us, the help goes way up. We have more of God's help and grace. It's a higher degree of it now because of Christ. So first of all, you could say God helps everybody. You could say God helps more those who have turned and rely on Christ. God helps those who rely on Christ completely. And, and I think you'll find out in most cases when people say God helps those who help themselves, it's one person who's saying that trying to get the other person to do something. You know, you need to do this because God helps those who help themselves, you know, or because they don't want to do something for them that they've asked. So it can be a manipulation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. One other example, you know, that comes to my mind before actually going to the scriptures is, let's say, you know, you need a heart surgery, right? Then you're lying down on the surgical table. I'm using these extreme examples because that's what it is, right? Our salvation is extreme. So you're lying on the operation table and you uh, have a heart attack the third time and the heart surgery needs to be performed and the doctor comes, the chief surgeon comes and is like, yeah, I'm going to help you only those who help themselves, you know, take the knife (laughs) and cut your skin a little bit and then I will start my surgery. So it is that illogical to me, to be honest, I don't know where this came from. But again, I think the roots of all this is in the law, right? You know, the law-based mentality. Trying to first do something, obey the law, and then, you know, expect God to help you. You know, this whole mentality of works-based approach to God, and you're trying to earn from God, right? You know, the other way of saying is, God will not give me anything until I pay Him first by doing something, right? So this whole works-based, earning-based mentality is what it is. But again, I think it's... uh, it totally contradicts the grace, right? Grace says, if it is by grace, it cannot be by works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And if it is by works, it cannot be by grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work.
0: I think a lot of this whole God helps those who help themselves comes from people who think they're doing something to add to their self-righteousness in an effort to earn more from God, which we've said how many times, we can't do.
2: Yeah, I think the only way to help ourselves is to say that, God, I cannot help myself. Help me.
1: The Apostle Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong, because God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. That, that's a very worldly view. When you think about the words, you know, God helps those who help themselves, it's a self-starter, pull up your own bootstraps, I'm going to do it mentality, kind of an overriding value the world has that uh, avoid weakness at all costs. You've got to be a winner. Go out there and work harder. And if you're going to get any help from God, it's only if you work hard first. (laughs) Yeah. And it also appeals to our flesh, right? You know, our flesh
2: always wants to do something and get credit. But we know that right know, by the works of the flesh, you know, the mind of the flesh is enmity against God. So flesh wants to do stuff, wants to get credit, but the problem is the flesh is not good enough. So for those, you know, who are living by the flesh, right, not depending upon God completely, but they want to live depending on their own strength, thereby get some credit and glory, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of mentality also, you know, this kind of saying appeals to that kind of uh,
1: mentality, so to speak. Would you guys like to move on to number three now? All right. Okay. Number three is one that many of us that have been in church have, have heard pastors use this. It's almost a catchphrase. But it, it, um, it is that God is the God of a second chance. And when I first heard that, like I heard it on the radio, listened to some ministry program, somebody preaching. and I'm like, wait a minute, second chance for what? <laughs> like, what am I getting a second chance for? I can't lose my standing with God. I can't lose my salvation. It's all Christ and not me. I don't need a second chance. He's not God of the second chance. He's a a God that when he does it for us, we never need a second chance again. That was my whole point with this one, is it's, it's a misunderstanding of what happens at salvation. The fact that we are made new creations, that we no longer are successful or failures by how well we do and keep the law.
0: Let me, let me say this real fast, and that is that I believe whoever came up with this idea originally had the absolute best of intentions oh, in sure, their heart and sure. their mind at the time. Because what they were looking at, I believe, was that when we were trying to live under the law without having accepted Christ and gotten the grace that we received since then, what they were saying was, you're a lost sinner, you can't dig yourself out. God's giving you a a second chance to become righteous and holy and come to heaven. But that's just a very legalistic way of looking at things that isn't quite true under grace as grace is presented now. And that is, yeah, we were all those things, but that wasn't, it isn't a second chance. This was God's plan from the beginning. We, We talked about this in a previous podcast. There's no plan B. This was his plan all along his son was going to come die for us. We were going to accept it and become holy and righteous in his eyes because of that sacrifice. So there is no need for a second chance, like you said, Mark. Now we got a billion chances. We got as many chances as we need because we're going to keep falling short, but he's going to keep forgiving us. and, And he doesn't have to keep forgiving us. He forgave us once for everything. And he's going to keep seeing us as righteous.
1: Well, I'll just take a, a little bit of umbrage with that because I wanted to use the word umbrage. <laughs> and, and that is that no matter what number you put on the chances, whether it's one or a billion, we don't need any because it's not about chances anymore. They're, you know what I'm saying? You see, I know it's, it's being a little nitpicky, but we're no longer under a system of chances of succeeding and failing, succeeding and failing, and we need this many chances or you need that many. It's not chance anymore. Wait, are you are you a barber, Mark? Because
0: you're splitting some hairs there pretty fine. But I agree with <laughs> you completely. Don't take me wrong. I agree with you completely. Okay, good.
2: See, I think uh, digging into this a little bit more, right, When you say somebody gives somebody a chance, right? That means, right, you know, if you don't respond the second time or the third time or the hundredth time, there is a consequence, right? So if we say, you know, God is giving me a chance, that means, you know, if I don't do whatever is expected of me, now there's a consequence. And usually the consequence is, you know, not having favor with God or losing your salvation or maybe, you know, suffering some loss in this life, right? So it all, again, goes back to the law. So again, I think we sometimes use words without understanding the implication of it. Sure. By definition, you know, if you are giving somebody a chance, that means if you don't respond to that or if you don't take full advantage of the chance, there's a consequence. Right. But like we just discussed, right, you know, once we are saved, we are saved forever. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, Again, Lord doesn't want us to live the life of Christ. It doesn't mean that, you know, oh, I can go and sin and live all kinds of uh, life that God doesn't intend for us. That doesn't mean that, you know, there are not any consequences, right? For example, if I keep on going and uh, uh, getting involved in some destructive habits, right? There's a natural consequence to that. But with regards to God, right, you know, because I did something or because I did not do something I'm not going to get anything else from God. Like we just discussed, once somebody is saved, right, you're going from death unto life, and from darkness unto light, from the power of Satan unto the kingdom of God, right? Yeah. So there is no reversal of that. God's gifts and callings are, are irrevocable, right? So God is not going to revoke my salvation. God is not going to, if to the second chance or the third chance I don't respond, god is not going to revoke my blessing god is not going to stop loving me god is not going to revoke uh, fellowship so i think the underlying message here people who say that you know god is a god of second chances he's saying that you know if you don't avail your second chance you know you better be careful you might lose your salvation or you might lose your fellowship or you might you know god might uh, send you some punishment into your life you know these are all the implications of this kind of uh, belief you know that's why you know we are not trying to nitpick or we are not going to you know call out on well meaning people but i think end of the day what you believe is what your life will be so these are all the consequences whether you realize or not of believing wrong
1: and i think also one of the implications for god of the second chance is about sin Because what do I need a second chance from? It's some failure or mistake or something of a negative nature. Where we've talked about this many times, but now that all our sins have been forgiven and we're no longer under the law but under grace, we do not transgress and sin against God anymore. Because Paul tells us numerous times that where there's no law, there is no transgression where there's no law, God, God does not take our sin into account. So as a believer, I don't need another chance. He's already wiped that clean. Christ died once and for all, not you know, not up to a certain point. And then if I screw up after then, I need more chances. And I also believe even the unbelieving world is not on a chance system. I don't believe that some, uh, some, some murderer on death row that cries out for the Lord Jesus that God's going to say, I'm sorry, you know, last week was your last chance. Because it's not about chances. He wants that none would perish. And he's going to wait and give them every possible opportunity to put their faith in Christ until they're no longer able to put faith in Christ because they're going to see him. And then it's too late to put faith in him because you, it won't be faith anymore. You're going to know that he is God. So I think what they're trying to do is bring out the generous nature of God. We'll give we'll give them the benefit of the doubt that when they say God of the second chance, they're just trying to show uh, the the grace, graciousness of God and his generosity Um. But just like the Apostle Paul said about the nation of Israel, he said, you know, I can testify about them. They are very zealous for God. All right. And there's a lot of of pastors and people leading churches that have great attention. And they're very serious about their relationship with God and very zealous to have their congregations living great lives and serving and giving money and doing all these good works. But as Paul said, their zeal is not based upon knowledge. So even though it sounds like we're nitpicking, the words we speak, like you said earlier, well, they denote what we believe and that affects our lives. That's why I think there is some value for us to point out, not just other people, but you know, throughout the week, my wife and my kids who all, you know, grew up under the gospel, I will almost every day say something inadvertently that is not in line with the truth of the message of God's grace, the gospel. And we need each other to call each other out. That's what iron sharpening iron means. It doesn't mean me calling out uh, a j for something I think he's doing wrong. it's me calling out a j when he's not thinking in line with the truth with the gospel,
0: and given our upbringing, I have to say that certainly I have that problem. We all I've do. been taught I've been taught in the works or mixed gospel church for so long that there are times that it's easy to drop back into the language, if not the complete thought pattern or even action patterns. And so, that's, you know, grace once again for one another. You know, if I say something wrong, they'll gently correct me and I'll, I'll laugh and try and, and move forward again. It's, but it's not, I never take umbrage. I never get upset. Um, and, and, and likewise, any of the three of us are that way.
1: Yeah. It's impossible to live in this world and not to be dealing with some of that, you know, because the whole world is on a works system. So that's just, in. it's ingrained in us. And I I think to me, it's one of life's great adventures and noblest of all um, goals, not the word I'm looking for, endeavors, let's say. And that is that I would think right and speak right in line with the truth of what the gospel is. Because Scripture tells us over and over again that it's the renewing of our minds. It's repenting, which means to rethink. It's contemplating the Lord's glory. Those are the things that transform us. And our speaking, as Christ said, comes from the overflow of our hearts. Once we think correctly, we're going to start to speak correctly. And those do have consequences for us and for those around us.
0: Uh, Jay, the Mickey Mouse hands on the wall are starting to count down. I feel like you haven't had a chance to say anything in a while. I want to give you a chance to give a last opinion before we walk out for the evening.
2: Yeah, so I think, again, like uh, Mark said, right, you're not giving the benefit of doubt. We don't want to misrepresent what people are saying, you know, when they say God is a God of second chances. So, in some cases, you know, it is also used, right, someone, some believer falls, and they are in a state of self-condemnation and not able to get up. You know, you, you can get up and walk, right? You know, God is, there is, don't think that there's no hope, you know, don't think that, you know, you have hit a wall. You know, you can get up and walk because of what the Lord Jesus did for you, and you can fall and get up several times, you know, like the Bible says, you know, a good man falls seven times, but you'll still get up. I think in that sense also, you know, people use this to say that, you know, you're not without hope. When they say, you know, God is a God of second chances, they simply mean, you know, you're not without hope. I think even though they may they are, they might be using the incorrect word or terminology, but what they mean is, you know, don't think that there's no hope. You know, they don't think that, you know, this is the end of everything. So you can get up and walk again. So
0: I just wanted to say that. I appreciate that, and I will tell you guys once again, I love these conversations. I get so much out of them, even if I have to be corrected, gently, gently. (laughs) I'll let you know when I take umbrage with you. (laughs) So I think that's a good place for us to stop tonight. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, reach out to us at the information that's about to be provided in the outro. And for those of you who have been listening, we appreciate you. We request that you would subscribe and or share with your friends. From the three of us, God bless. Have a great week and good night. We would like to thank you for listening to The Unveiling. We hope you have enjoyed it enough to consider subscribing and sharing with others. We welcome your questions, comments, and feedback. You can reach us via email at theunveiledgospel at yahoo.com or find our Facebook page at The Unveiling Podcast. For IJ, Mark, and myself, God bless, and we will talk with you next time.